If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Tamar Hermes. Tamar, thank you so much for joining us, and I appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So Tamar is another referral from my friend, Mandy McAllister. So thank you so much, uh, Mandy, for sending over some great guests for us to interview. We were chit-chatting before the show started as I have such a bad habit of doing and heard some cool stories and got some great insights that y'all are going to miss out on. So I'm going to try and get it to rehash, get her to rehash it for us. Uh, Tamar, can you start off telling us about your, your story, kind of where you got started and what you've all got your hands into? It sounds like you're into it a diverse amount of, of real estate projects. So what, what's your, what's your story? Yeah. So I started out, uh, over, uh, 20 years ago and I bought my first duplex in Los Angeles. Pretty typically wanted to change, stop trading time for money. And that seemed like a really good way. I was an executive in television and saw the opportunity of not having to pay as much rent if I owned a place and had a tenant. So that's where I started. And from there, I kept buying duplexes and uh, in, in the Los Angeles area and grew my portfolio that way. Over time, I started to realized that I wanted to do less work. And uh, so I sold uh, properties and then moved into a lot of passive investing and in the passive investing world have gotten involved in a lot of projects. I'm still active because of the real estate professional status, uh, which is a uh, a tax benefit. If people don't know, you probably talked about it on the show before because it's such a uh, an important feature of being a real estate investor. So I do enough to uh, be active, and then I have a lot of passive deals as well. Awesome. I feel like you skipped a whole lot in that little summary. So you started off buying duplexes in LA 20 years ago. And then today you live in Austin and Mm -hmm. you focus primarily in passive investing. And um, and I think you mentioned before we started the show, you also have Airbnbs. I also want to dive a little bit more into that conversation about the uh, real estate professional status because it's kind of a it's kind of a weird issue for me lately um, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I fought with my CPA a lot about whether I could claim it because I, I had a corporate job or accumulated a bunch of real estate, and even though I spent way more time doing real estate, he was just hell bent on not claiming it because of, because of having the W two income would just send up too many red flags. So I'm always curious to get other people's opinion on that. And if you say I'm right, I'm definitely going to send him a copy of this recording. With a, he's one of my best friends, so we pick a lot on the subject. But the other thing is syndicators these days tend to advertise that real estate professional status like, like everybody qualifies. Like, oh, you're an engineer here, invest in my deal, and you can get 115% bonus depreciation year one. And I just don't think it works that way. And I, I've almost, and I, 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 I'll ask everybody, hoping somebody will prove me wrong. 
But I feel like the way it's advertised, it, it's almost like everybody can take advantage of it. And it's really a very, very, very small niche of people that can actually take advantage of it. So um, what's your opinion on that subject? Yeah, so uh, this is a big topic because the reason why a lot of people want real estate professional status is because it enables you to take deductions both on active and passive losses. So it does create this large pool of depreciation that can even offset W-2. Uh, and uh, first, I'll say I am not a CPA, although I have a lot of good friends that are very successful CPAs. So I do. And I have a good CPA. So I do have a lot of discussions around this. And I really always like to follow the rules like Tom Wheelwright will always say, like, just find your rules and uh, and make sure that you abide by the rules and then use the tax laws around that. So that's why you always want to understand what the government is asking you to do and what the rules are so that you can abide by them because otherwise you do run the risk of uh, being told that you are your deductions are disallowed, which can be quite pricey. So essentially, I'll just tell you in a nutshell from someone who's not a CBA, but who knows a fair amount about this, which is that you do need to have 750 hours of active participation. So it means that you are actually actively involved in the real estate deals and that you don't have other people that are involved in the same deals that do any more work than you do technically. Although there's a lot of GPs on a deal that would all take real estate professional status. And uh, and that could be in an audit, that could be something that is a conversation. As far as W-2, the reason why generally, I do know one person that has a large W-2 and did go through an audit and made it through uh, with flying colors. Uh, but uh, with when you're a W-2, the reason why generally you don't, you cannot take real estate professional status is because the IRS automatically will look at you and say, well, how can you work 750 hours actively in real estate if you work this many hours in a full-time job. So in the one case that I know, um, he had real estate professional log because the log is really important. You really need to uh, really need to have uh, proof of what you're doing and keep a log. And then uh, the other piece was that he was um, he was able to show a lot of properties that he was involved in. Um, so I, um, you know, those are kind of the the that's kind of the overview. So what does it mean involved in? Because one of the because I, th I think about like how I spend my time, and it's it's all real estate all day, you know, and. and but his his kind of his kind of rebuttal to that comment was, you know, but they, it excludes investor level activities. So how do you differentiate between an investor level activity and like a real estate professional activity? Well, you know, there are certain things people think that if they're just looking at properties, then that counts, or if they're, uh, or if they are. Um, driving to properties, then that counts. There's certain there, it's very, uh, very specific in the tax code about what is considered active and what's considered passive. So generally it's like, 
you know, if you're a property manager and you're talking to your tenants every day, or you're the one who's fixing everything. Like I know people that do all their own rehabs. They literally physically do their rehabs. Well, they're actively involved in that project for sure. There's no dispute. They're, you know, got a hammer to the wall and they're banging it out. So um, those kinds of things. The other thing I should add, and this is all stuff you should check with your CPA. And I just want to say also about, because I am in the wealth building space, is that if you have a CPA that doesn't seem very savvy or uh, or on top of the real estate rules. If you're listening to this podcast and you know, you've grown with a CPA and you love them, but now you're really into real estate, you should consider looking for another CPA because there could be a lot of money being left on the table. You can still take depreciation as a as a, if you're not a real estate professional, it's just a passive gains against passive losses. So there are still deductions that you can take. There are still opportunities and you just need to have the right uh, tax team and you need to do your own research. I'm a huge advocate of people doing their own research. I'll also add that when you're looking through this, if you're in into Airbnbs, there are certain rules that apply specifically to Airbnbs and different hours that you need and requirements. So I would just say, you know, just do your research. And if you really don't qualify, then think long and hard. You know, if you and your CPA want to uh, go down that road, just know that if in the event that you're audited, you may or may not get that deduction. Sarah, I was smiling when you said if they don't do it, you should go find a new CPA. So uh, again, my CPA is a good friend of mine. We always pick her into the subject. And we were at a conference and we were talking to Tom Wheelwright and he was he said that very comment. He was like, if your CPA doesn't let you take your upside, usually you're fine with your CPA. And I said, you hear that, John? If, if my CPA does it, he goes, well, then you should go to Tom because if you bitch about my $10,000 bill, you're really going to have a hard time with the $50,000 bill he gives you. Well, you know, Tom has teams now, right? So you're not, he has all kinds of franchises and, 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 you know, and it's not inexpensive, but I think the thing is also as we're expanding wealth, one of the things that happens is that, you know, you first get into real estate and you're thinking, oh, I want to cash flow like, you know, $300 a month. Like if I'm cash flowing $300 a month anywhere in the world, and to me, it's a bust. Like that's just not, you know, that's sure. not a good deal for me. I would never even go into something like that at this point. Um, in my uh, career. And uh, and it, it, it speaks to the expansiveness in terms of how I look at my dollars. Like if I'm not making this amount, then it's not worth it to me. It, you know, at a certain point, if I'm not paying enough to a CPA, then I'm questioning whether or not that CPA is really going to give me the value that I want. Because the truth is, is that you could be looking like, oh, well, if you complain about a $10,000 bill, how will you feel about paying 50? And then I would ask the second question, which is that, okay, well, if I'm paying 50 and I'm saving 300 or if I'm paying 10 and I'm saving 15, you know what, like, let's look at it, right? So do the whole math equation, not just the small equation in terms of, you know, what really is your ROI and what actually do uh, certain professionals know uh, in the, in the tax field that could really benefit you and don't think, um, oh, well, I don't want to pay this much. And it happens a lot, like as we're expanding and as we're growing our wealth to start 
expanding your mind to be thinking about bigger dollars. And it's the same thing with deals. I mean, we look at, you know, a lot of people that start out with single family homes and then they want to buy multifamilies or then they want to get a mobile home parks or they want to get storage because they start realizing, wait, you know, there's more money to be made. So all of that is expanding. And then when you have a bigger, uh, more complex structure, you may need a, a, a tax person and attorneys and a team that is able to wrap their head around that structure and that is supporting you to expand that structure because otherwise you're in a situation where uh, you're kind of growing, but you're growing at the level of where you used to be and not where you are. It's that old saying like where where, what got you to where you are now is not going to get you where where you want to be. Right. Absolutely. So, so kind of filling the gaps for us between starting to buy the duplexes 20 years ago and then moving all of those, all of that into, into these passive projects. So what did that look like? I'm, I'm assuming uh, 20 years ago was, that was pre-2008. So like you were, you were in the real estate game during the crash. And, and so, you know, how was that? And I'm assuming at the time you, you still had your, your broadcasting, your, your television job. So to tell us a little bit about like weather and the storm, how you came out on the other end and then how those, how those assets, you know, progressed through, through the last sure. journey. Uh, so it's interesting, right? Even, and it's an interesting conversation because, you know, that was 2008. Now we're in 2022 and a lot of people feel like we're heading into another situation that doesn't look the same, but could have, you know, even bigger ramifications than what we were into previously, um, as far as, you know, the amount of money that's been poured into the market and a lot of uh, issues that we're having in our, um, in our economy. I would say that because I am a, a double kind of hit investor and not a huge, crazy risk taker, I never fell, uh, fell to like, Oh my gosh, I was decimated. I had, you know, five projects that I was building and, and, uh, and everything fell apart. I'm generally uh, pretty conservative and that served me well. I mean, it's one of the things I talk about a lot on my platform. I just wrote a book called the millionaire's mentality, and it's a professional women's guide to building wealth through real estate. And it's the whole idea of like, you don't need to take huge risks unless you're that kind of person, unless you're young and you really want to, you can just keep hitting doubles and doing really great. And in fact, you know, even, um, you know, we met through Mandy, but also through GoBundance and David Osborne, yeah. who's, you know, he, David Osborne, the head of GoBundance, he will always say, you know, it's doubles, it's singles and doubles, it's singles and doubles consistently. And, you know, and that's, uh, and he has several books if anyone wants to read more about his work, because he's, he's really quite, quite a brilliant investor. Absolutely. So 2008 was, was smooth, I'm assuming, because you, you bought your duplexes at a, at a reasonable price. And, yeah, I won't, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was smooth, but it wasn't, you know, I mean, there are bumps in the road, but it wasn't anything where, I was decimated, couldn't, you know, couldn't afford the overhead, had to sell the houses, you know, nothing like that. Yeah. So what do you think you brought the subject back? And I'm certainly feeling it. What do I think? What? What do you think about 
about the current market environment, where we're headed, okay. what we're yeah. going through today. You know, I, I feel it in some aspects of my business. You know, I, I do syndication projects and I, and I have a bunch of rental properties and I flip houses. I can tell you, I've got a bunch of houses that I was planning on selling in the next three months, but I don't, I'm not going to be able to sell for as much as I was planning. And right. it'll be, it'll be fine, but you know what I mean? It's still, it hurts, you know what I mean? But, but so where do you, where do you think we'll end up in the next six months, in the next year? You know, we just raised the rates again. Do you think we're coming to a screeching halt? What is your general feeling about the, the market conditions? Right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm the first person to say, I don't really know. I know a lot about money. I know a lot about real estate and I'm not sure, but I can look at basic facts, which which are going to tell us, give us some indications, right? Uh, so right now, the interest rates have really climbed. It's taken a lot of people out of the market and it's got a lot of people scared because uh, we, you know, people can't afford to buy what they could buy at 3% anymore. Um, and, uh, and also we're seeing halts in the market. I mean, the Airbnb market slowed, uh, you know, a lot of things have slowed because people are nervous. Stock markets going down, Bitcoin, all crypto crashed. We've got, a, we see a lot of signs of a transition coming. Now we also know that there's still a low inventory and, uh, and that, uh, that there's a lot of money that poured into the market that has a lot of negative implications for how this economy will uh, will live, how how we how the world will be able to survive this. Um, so there's uh, it's going to be it's going to be hard to predict. I would just say make sure you have cash on hand. Make sure you've got a passport. You can leave the country. <laughs> You know, make sure that you um, that you are uh, that if you're as you're investing, that you're investing in deals that are solid, that in deals that have a lot of meat on the bone and that are really conservative and uh, and just, you know, continue and just make sure that you're, you know, being responsible. And I think the times of being greedy are kind of over and that we need to just be uh, be aware because, I mean, in terms of, you know, whether interest rates go up more or down, I mean, the truth is, you know, I was listening to a call yesterday and they were saying, oh, the interest rates are going to go up over 2% more than they're going to drop in 2024. But we don't really know. And the truth is, is that, yeah, we'll make a big difference in the bottom line, but we have a lot of other factors at, at, um, at play also. I mean, we've got, you know, let's say you bought 20 Airbnbs and you bought bottom at 3%. So you've got a great loan, but now no one's renting your places. You know, at a certain point, how much reserve do you have to keep up that home? How um, how prepared are you to weather a storm where you might not be able to find or find the same kind of income? Did you create, did you buy properties where you could cash flow them and get a long-term tenant in? Do you have an exit? So all my Airbnbs, I could put long-term tenants in and they cash flow great. So I prepared, I was always ready for a storm. I'm always ready for a storm, you know, even when it was great. 
So uh, those are just a few things. I think, you know, you can't, I think that the main thing also is, you know, trust yourself. Don't get completely panicked and paralyzed by changes in the world because these are also opportunities where wealth is made, where opportunities are made. And you'll probably take advantage of some of those opportunities in addition to maybe um, not faring as well at the top of the market with certain deals. And that's okay. It's just money is just, that. that's what it does. It moves, it ebbs and flows. So you're you're mostly passive today. What type of projects do you passively invest in? Okay, yeah. And I'll say I'm not I am I'm not mostly because I'm still a real estate professional, so I do have properties that I manage uh and that I, you know, I need to uh that I'm in charge of. Uh so with the ones, but I definitely have a large <laughs> Portfolio. Um, with that, I have really a multitude of you name it. I have hard money loans. I have notes. I have uh, multifamily deals. I have storage unit. I have a mobile home parks. Um, I'm also in private equity deals. So, I mean, I really have a diversified portfolio. Uh, I even have projects where I have Airbnbs and uh, I'm passive in those Airbnbs. So I put I put money in so that I own equity and get cash flow, but I don't manage the properties and I don't do anything. There's a couple like that that I've done. Oh, I got all my money out of the deal already. So those worked out really well. I'm really happy with that. Awesome. Yeah, I've seen a deal come across my way like that. So that's um, great timing to to have recovered all of your capital, right? You know, before it kind of slowed. What, yeah, um, a lot of capital came in. What, um, tell me a little bit about the notes and the hard money lines. We don't hear about much about those. Yeah, sure. So um, I love uh notes and hard money loans. Uh, I like, I do those, um, with, with funds and I also do them in, uh, individually. And the reason why I like them is because, uh, you can make a a lot, you can make a great return and you don't have to do any work and you can negotiate different kinds of rates on those. Uh, the other thing is, is that they work very well inside of self-directed plans. So if you have a self-directed IRA or you have self-directed 401k, uh, you can actually use that money really, really effectively to just loan it to someone and then get the money back. Because one of the uh, retirement plan regulations is to not co-mingle and not to be uh, actively involved in with that money part, you know, that money needs to be invested and then put back in. You're not supposed to have a hand in the retirement funds. And so uh, the uh, the notes and, and hard money works really well. And I, I've done deals where it's just like any hard money lender that has a that has a big operation going where it's 12 percent and two points. I've done it where I have equity in deals. Um, I love those. I love when I can get a piece of the equity. Um, I'm doing some now where I have 12% and I'm actually keeping equity in um, in some deals that we're going to be hanging on to. So, uh, so they'll have longevity to them. So you can really structure anything um, inside of it. And you have a lot of flexibility when you have cash and you are uh, and you um, meet the right people to put that money to work for you. Awesome. So you mentioned that you have a pretty diversified passive portfolio. 
and and you mentioned a lot of different areas. How do you determine like how to allocate what, how much to which area? So like how I guess your asset allocation. Like where where do you or is it random or do you are you very specific about I want X number of dollars in private equity, I want X number of dollars in multifamily, I want X number of dollars, you know, percentage in the the you know notes versus the how do you what's your what's your I guess thought process around that? Yeah, that's such a good question. It's really important. And it's something that, you know, as your portfolio builds, you're really starting to look at. Because at first, it's just like, I just got to get a couple houses. I got to get some money going. And then all of a sudden, it starts to accumulate. And then you have to start thinking about how you're allocating. So uh, I use, I mentioned already, self-directed funds. So I do have uh, retirement funds. I have personal funds. And uh, depending on... So the first thing I look at is, you know, do I like the deal? Do I like what the investor's doing? Do I like the strategy? Do I like the exit plan? Do I like the projected returns? Do I think the operator knows what they're doing? Do they have experience? Have they exited before? So I ask all those questions. Once I decide on that, then I look at, okay, how will this best serve me? So for example, with notes and for um, hard money lending, there's no depreciation, right? So already it lends itself better to a self-directed plan because if I'm going to do like a multifamily or um, or uh, uh, any kind of property, I would want that in my personal so that I could take advantage of the tax deductions. So that's one of the first ways I look at it. In terms of allocation, I'm someone, I, I like to put a bit in everything. When you're an accredited investor, minimums tend to be anywhere from 50000 to up, upwards of a million to get into deals. And so I tend to uh, mix and match depending on, you know, how much I believe in the deal, what I think about it, and um, and uh, how much money actually I have to allocate. So right now I'm a lot more conservative because uh, like like a lot of people, we're holding cash right now, right? Because we're waiting for we're waiting for a fire sale and for our next opportunity to come in. And so, you know, no one wants to be cash poor. So, um, a lot of the deals that come in that I really like right now, and there have been several uh, where um, where I'll put money in, it'll usually maybe be anywhere from fifty to two fifty. So um, 50,000 to 250,000 in a deal. And the, the other thing is that sometimes deals can be 25,000. And I'm sure you've talked about the fact that you don't always have to be accredited. So some people that are new to passive investing, you can also um, be in a syndication with um, a, as a sophisticated investor if the plan set up in that way. Sure, absolutely. So do you, do you typically bet on the jockey or the horse? I, I, I have a lot of like sophisticated investors kind of like that, or even accredited investors that just aren't like super real estate intensive. And they, they, I mean, barely look at the deal at all. They're like, well, I believe in Sterling. You know what I mean? So somebody with such active experience as yourself, are you going in and like deep dive underwriting the deals that you're investing in? Or are you like, well, I know Jamie, he knows what he's doing, so I'm going to give him my money. I used to bet more on the jockey, but now I bet on both because I really think that it's important that you understand what is going on. I've lost money before, even, you know, a jockey knows only what a jockey knows. But, uh, you know, there's there might be some choices, especially now, like some 
um, you know, some investors, they're doing the bridge loans for three years because they feel like the way the numbers work and the market works that they can make a bridge loan work. And now in my estimation, I'm thinking, well, you know, do you have a, a plan in place after that three years or are you going to be forced to sell? One of the deals that we were just talking about that I was a GP in in Denver, well, one of the ways we got this last deal was that uh, the uh, investors had done the rehab and they did a great job and there was uh, meat on the bone. They made some money, but they would have made a lot more if they didn't need to exit when they did, but their loan was due. And so we made it a win-win and got the deal. but. Again, you know, if you have that, if you have that deadline. So even if somebody's a great jockey, you still need to look at, you know, how are they, what are their loan terms? What are their projections? When are you going to get your principal back? Uh, you know, what um who are other potential partners? I had one deal too where uh I went in and the woman's very seasoned, and then in the last minute she ended up taking on partners and didn't really uh tell any of the investors. And the deal kind of went south because she had given away a little bit too much of her control and she couldn't get the um she couldn't do the work that she knew could be done that we had all kind of invested with her about. So um um, in that case, actually, she is actually buying all the investors out with the projected return. Um, that's the other thing is that you also want to look at uh, investors that uh, care enough about their reputation. Well, most, everybody cares about their reputation, but I mean, also has the means to kind of, you know, have the connections, has the liquidity. Like she had enough money where she could say, look, you know, it's going to cost me a half a million to buy all you out, but I'd rather do that and save face with you than you know, have you stay in a deal that you don't feel like you want to stay in anymore. So, uh, so, you know, things like that are really great where, you know, the, the, uh, jockey's actually looking out for you to make sure that you're taken care of as a passive investor. And I think that's a big deal. And I think there's, a, there's so many great, uh, great investors in this space. And I think most people really do care about their reputation. It's just that sometimes you can be, you know, especially in a market like this, if you're caught off guard, you could get caught underwater and may just not be able to fix it. So yeah. it's nice when you have reserves. Awesome. So if you were starting all over in, in a market like we're in today, so fast forward 20 years, but it's 2020, rewind 20 years, but it's 2022, you're just getting started knowing everything you know now, what would you have done differently? Or what, what advice would you give to somebody just getting started in this environment? Well, the one thing that I would say is to explore your options. That's one of the things that I talk about in the book, which is that there's not just one way to invest. You may be someone that just wants to do passive investing. And, you know, we hear all that, like you think originally like, oh, I got to buy a single family home or I got to do an Airbnb because it's kind of trendy and it works and it's fashionable. But, you know, you might, I, I was talking to a client yesterday and she was like, God, you know, before I met you, I got into this Airbnb and I thought I was going to be passive because I have, a, I have a manager and it turned out she had a flood in the in the property. And guess what? Guess who was dealing with the insurance company? She was. And she owned several businesses. And she was like, this is not passive. Like, I don't like this. She would have been much happier, you know, giving you Sterling a couple hundred thousand and making the money that way. So, mm -hmm. you know, there you go. Right. So the, the thing is to really understand your temperament, understand what kind of investor you really want to be is really important. That's the first thing. And, you know, to kind of explore your options. And then from there, I mean, a lot of what I would do is the same because a lot of it has to do with 
uh, understanding the numbers and the mindset, right? Because a lot of people are just scared of real estate. They're scared to invest. I mean, I was told by so many financial advisors, uh, oh, you don't want to get into real estate. Oh, you're going to lose your money. Oh, you're really not making as much money as you think. It's like, no, I'm actually not making as money as I think being invested in your dumb stocks. You know, that's where I'm losing money. Um, you know, so... I find uh, not very many financial advisors know much about finance. <laughs> they just don't know. Well, a lot of them, some of them are good, but a lot of them don't hold true to the fiduciary responsibility. And then the other thing is that they often don't know a lot about real estate because they don't make money in real estate. And right. so I understand like they're not trained in that because there's no skin in the game for them. But, you know, really, uh, that's why for me, I mean, that's why I'm an advocate for women. That's why I'm an advocate really for anyone to learn about their finances, to understand what it is that their money is doing for them and what they want it to do and to take ownership of that. So even if you have a financial advisor, I mean, know how much they're charging you, know how much you're actually making. Uh, you know, you need to understand what is going on. Don't, I, I am not a proponent of leaving my money to anybody. Now I'm a little controlling, I'll admit, but I will also say that, you know, sometimes it's going to be a little controlling with money because, you know, it's your money and if it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I had this conversation a lot recently and, and I'll make, I'll make like, comment or you know I'll create content around you know oh don't you know don't pay off your mortgage if you have 30% mortgage you can invest the difference by you know 15% when you're keeping all this delta and a million people come to we're not making 15% who's making 15% you can't make 15%. And like the reality is if you go dump all your money over with the Edward Jones guy, you know what I mean? Like, there's a good chance you're not gonna make 15%. But if you're making like very educated, calculated, active, intentional decisions, and you're taking ownership of that process, and you're educating yourself, and you're getting around other folks like yourself, and 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 we're all making fifteen plus percent on everything, right? And 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 that's that kind of sounds like what you're talking about. It's like don't go dump it. Like if you if your whole like financial business model is to go dump your retirement account with you know the guy at at, at you know the insurance company down the road who's trained to sell you insurance and, and, you know, stick your retirement, you know, funds in, in some mutual funds, you know what I mean? Just plug and play. Like, yeah, you're going to get 6%. Right. No, absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned insurance though, because I actually am a proponent of whole life insurance. And uh, I actually, are you one of those infinity banking fanatics? I am. I am. And I actually do. I actually work with a, with um, with probably the person that I think is the best in the country at it. Who's that? Um, I am licensed. His name's Will Duffy. But um, yeah. but if you're interested, come to me because I work in conjunction with him, and that um, and I would love to you know have a conversation about that. But yes, I do think that there's a place for it, and um, and I do think that it can be quite viable uh so i i do like it so well then there's another topic we can dive into so tell me give me the, the elevator pitch for the for the infinity bank and for the whole life insurance and you're borrowing against your own money and then you're earning you're earning interest on both sides is that, that give me the, the, the or give our listeners the, the, the deal okay absolutely okay so the first thing you need to understand 
with whole life insurance is that there isn't one size fits all. So you could go to 10 agents and they'll all sell you, uh, they'll all have a partnership with a different uh, insurance company. Um, they'll have different sorts of uh, terms and um, they'll also uh, have uh, different criteria and interest rates in terms of borrowing and in terms of what they pay. Um, so with, uh, with the way that I, the way that I like to work it is to, um, is to make sure that, uh, you're getting paid on all of the interest that you put in. And there's certain ways that the, um, that the, uh, plan needs to be set up and, uh, and that you, um, also understand that you can make. There's, there are ways where after 24 hours, like the way that we do the policies, you make 90, you can get 90% of your money out the next day. So there's very few plans I've ever seen like that. And that's one of the key things for me, because if I'm going to put my money to insurance policy, yes, I want the insurance there. It's very viable. I mean, there's some realities in terms of having like, you know, um, million dollar policies and being able to leave that tax free to your, to your um, loved ones or, you know, a charity or whatever speaks to you. Um, but just to have that and, uh, and be able to also put that money in and be able to take out 90% to borrow at 5% or less, uh, annualized and, um, and make money on, you know, and start pumping the gas on that money. So let me start a caveat by saying I sold sure. whole life insurance for sure. years in college. I was, uh, I interned with Northwestern Mutual and we continued to work there for a couple of years. Um, so I, I generally understand how the, the concept of whole life, but, but where I, and but I also understand that they're not all created equal. Some policies just wouldn't work with. And I interviewed a guy a while back, I think Mark Willis, who who speaks a lot on the topic. And I want to say okay. he told me that North Northwestern Mutual's version of of whole life insurance wouldn't work for this program. But see, so you're you're making what is it? What, are the, what is the typical dividend payment you'll get on one of these whole life policies? Three, four. So again, it depends. So the the insurance company that we work with, they've averaged six percent for the life of I don't know, probably the last like 150 years. Um, okay. So that you know, so we we look, but I always I always uh, will estimate low. So I'll say four percent, even though it's so, been six percent. That's just how I roll. And then and then you borrow the money, and you're paying interest. But the interest is, I guess, canceled out by the the dividend payment. So right. you borrow, you're borrowing your own money for free. Correct. That's absolutely right. And you know, if you have a big cash value, you know, where when once you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, you can just you don't have to ask the bank to borrow the money. You've got the money right there. So a lot of freedom. I mean, so I guess where my hangup is on it, and and please educate me on this, but it seems like a lot of work to use your own money for free. It seems like a lot of money to use your money for. Seems like a lot of like the whole process. Like I, I've got my money. I don't have to do anything to get my money. Right. What is the point of me taking my money, putting it in an insurance product, paying a commission, and then borrowing my money back for free? 
or borrowing it for whatever percentage I paid, just an well, offset by their dividend. Where, where, where's the right. where's the where's the benefit? Okay, Besides so there's a couple of benefits. Right. Okay. One is I don't know. Like we are just getting to know each other, so I don't know if you have children or family. Oh, I have life insurance. I have life insurance. I mean, I've got I've got a million dollars in life insurance. You have term insurance. Term. Yeah. Right. So ter- the thing about term is that, like, you know, at a certain point, like when you're 65, probably that it goes up and it's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to go away, and you may feel comfortable. You may feel like, look, I'm going to have enough money by then. I don't really care. You know, so that you're right. You may not need it. Um, In my mind, I feel like I like the idea of having that tax free money growing for me. And I'm not really paying for it because, like you said, it's offsetting from the amount that I put in and the amount that I'm borrowing. And then I can take that money and use it for something else. So for me, it's kind of uh, adding it's adding a lot of value to me because now I have an insurance policy. Um, plus that insurance policy, the death benefit grows over time. Uh, the other thing I really like about it is for kids. I also like it. Um, you know, my kids have a policy and, you know, when they're 60, their policy is probably going to work like, like their million dollar policy will probably be worth 3 million or more, yeah. which is pretty nice. Like someday, you know, they might be like, God, thank, thank mom for doing this because now we have a, uh, you know, $3 million yeah. and they need it. And, and 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 I bought I bought my niece one for when she was born. That, That's you know, cool. That's great. Type thing. But is is that really like the highest and best use of that money? Like, well, if you can, could borrow, can you borrow the money the next day, or is it locked in? I don't know. This is fifteen. Right. Um, well, I would say the thing is, is that um, I mean, to me. If you ask if it's the highest and best use of your money, if I can use 90% of it the next day, I would say, yeah, because I mean, I'm, I can take it out. I can use it. So, I so, mean, it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, just an added, it's an added benefit. So there's undeniable benefits of life insurance. And life insurance is great. And that it, it, it is certainly needed. Um, so my question is, is, is the is the benefit of the infinity banking? Is it just like you can use the money and then the life insurance is the benefit, or is there like some other financial accelerator taking place in this process? Like, is it is it really like speeding the growth of the money, or is it just like you can kind of do all this at one time and life insurance is good and you have life insurance forever and the life insurance is growing? But is there is there truly any like? while I'm alive, financial benefit there. Well, if you want life insurance and you're using term and let's say, I mean, you're pretty young, so you probably didn't pay that much. So for you, it's probably, you know, not very much money, but at a certain point, if you decide you want life insurance and you get term, you might be paying over a thousand a year. And then in 10 years, that's $10,000 that you get no money back for. Renting Um, versus owning. And it's, yeah, and then it's going to be gone. So it's just a matter, you know, I do definitely think like some people, I mean, I know a lot of wealthy people that use them. I mean, because you can also do them, you can stack them. There's also um, benefits in terms of um, 
in terms of, uh, will it being tax free also like as an estate, you can also, yeah, if you go over the estate thumb, then it does count like toward income, but like, let's say you had three properties that were, you know, multifamilies that you left for your family and you didn't want them to have to sell them, but then they owe tax when you down, yeah. when you passed. So then they could use the life insurance policy to do that and then not have to sell the properties. So, no, I mean, there's I, definitely. I agree. There is, there's tremendous benefit from estate planning and uh, an insurance perspective in this, in these programs. And, and I'm not doubting that at all. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like infinity banking has been promoted lately as like something that is going to be some like extreme financial engine. In, in no, no, I, I know. I agree with you. Okay. It's not, I mean, and I love it and I don't think that it is necessarily. I mean, I okay. think that you know, you're basically not paying for it because you're putting the money in and you're getting the money, you know, like you said, the interest yeah. offsets, especially the way we do it, where you get 90% the next day. But, yeah. um, but the thing is, is that overall, yeah, I mean, not, not really. I mean, okay. you're right. I mean, there there are lots of benefits and you have to ask yourself, do you want those benefits? And I think at a certain point, when you're you a certain you age do. of wealth, you do. Um, you, when you got more money than you can spend in this life, you absolutely. know what I mean? Your, your thought processes shift towards planning for the future. I just, 100%. from like a young, hungry person trying to grow wealth aggressively, get to that point. You know, yeah. like this isn't As a supercharger. Totally. And the benefit, if you're young and you get it, the nice thing about it is that uh, life insurance is, is fixed. The rate is fixed. So like, let's say um, I get a whole life policy when I'm, you know, 15. So she's that maybe it's like 5,000 a year or something. And then, you know, if, if I got it now, it's like 30,000 a year. So, you know, there's, there's a big difference in what you pay. So, I mean, that's one of the benefits. And then a lot of people like it for kids also, if God forbid, like a kid develops diabetes or something and all of a sudden they can't get the life insurance policy, you know, they like to protect them. And I know people that also like infinite banking or we call it the bank replacement strategy for, um, for the reasons that, uh, let's say you want your niece to learn about money so you can put the cash value back in there and say, okay, now you can invest it, you know, the way that you see fit. Oh, cool. Well, look, for the sake of time, I want to hop over to our radio round. Um, three questions to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first one is, what is your favorite book? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm just going to say my own book because I wrote it and I'm proud of myself. <laughs> so the millionaire's mentality. <laughs> okay. Millionaire's mentality. When did that come out? Um, it came out in April and awesome. it's easy to get it. You can just go to tomorrowbook.com. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds great. What is your favorite quote? Mm, you know what? The one that came to me is, and I, I think I feel like I quote, there's so many good quotes, but um, uh, I, li- I love the Jim Rohn quote, like you'll find a way or you'll find an excuse because I just think it's so yeah. true. Like there's always a way. There's always a way. You know, yeah, for sure. And then, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, really like riding my electric bike a lot. And my husband and I go every Sunday. We ride to get breakfast, and it's just really fun. It just just feels good, and it's just yeah, electric, electric bikes bike. are great. So is huh? that like a is that like a motorcycle without an engine? Like you just you I, press the tab and it goes. Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, it goes thirty miles. It's pretty fun. 
cool. really fun. So I, I think I love that. Awesome. And I and I like hanging out with friends and having good conversations and learning. Awesome. So how can our listeners find out more about you, get in touch with you, invest with you, um, find out about your masterminds and just network and learn from you? Yeah, awesome. So they can go to Wealth Building Concierge, C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E. Somebody told me that was hard to spell. I was like, that no, is, it's that concierge. Is, that is hard I to like spell. It. I like it. And I was kind of rude about it. I said, when somebody said like, well, concierge, that's kind of a fancy word. I'm like, look, if you can't figure out how to spell concierge, I'm not your, I'm not your girl. <laughs> I would definitely have to talk to text that word. <laughs> well, it's fine, but you would figure out how to do it. You'd find a way, not an excuse. That's right. That's right. So wealthbuildingconcierge.com. And you could just, if you Google me, you'll probably find stuff on me. Awesome. Well, tomorrow I really enjoyed uh, getting, to, getting to know you today. And I, I, I wish we had more time because I could chat with you for hours. So thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so glad we met and look forward to keeping up with you in your journey. Yeah, me too. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.